0: Be sure to go to HabsUnfiltered.net to check out all the great giveaways, all the great sponsors, all the promo codes for each sponsor to save you money on amazing products. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered, episode 263. I'm your host, Blaine Pudbay and I'm joined by a special guest, Byron Bader. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm really excited to have you on. You, you cover a lot of very interesting information when it comes to uh, prospects in the draft. You cover the analytical side, and I'm not, I'm not the most math-based person but it really, really interests me in how you're approaching this. Um, Could you give my listeners a little bit of a background on what you do and how you get it set up?
1: Yeah. So my website, hockeyprospecting.com is essentially, you know, predictive analytics website, um, basically trying to project um, prospects and which ones are going to you know, A, make the NHL, but also B, which ones are going to make the NHL and, and you know, prosper and do really well, turn into those kind of, those superstars or there's those offensive stars that you're kind of looking for from every draft. So essentially what it does is, you know, it uses something called, you know, NHL equivalencies, which is basically like every league is a bit different from itself in terms of how the scoring relates back to the NHL. So the OHL is different from college, which is different from all the Euro leagues and so on and so forth. So basically what it does is it goes back 30 years. So there's 30 years of history in the model and it, it sort of uses these equivalencies to basically put everybody on the same level playing field and then factoring in sort of age and, you know, production growth patterns that, sort of have emerged over the last 30 years you can kind of project out what a player is going to do next basically like from the draft where they're going to kind of go next you know a a superstar you know tends to look a certain way or a star looks a certain way and somebody who makes the nhl looks a certain way you know compared to somebody that's probably not going to make it somebody that's going to bust out so that's basically what it's doing is it's it's taking all this information from the past you know, combining it all, putting it all on the same level playing field and through the same lens so that you can look at these, you know, hundreds of prospects all at the same time. And you can look at the ones, you know, who has the, the typical archetype or the typical profile of a player that, you know, turns into a star, like a player like Alex DeBrincat, for, for example, looked like a, a player that turns into a star four out of five times, but he's not taken until the second round because he's kind of small, right? So it's looking for these sort of anomalies, these little, you know things to catch um, that are often missed because you're looking at you know everything on the same level playing field. So yeah, that's basically what it's doing. And there's a whole bunch of different tools and and models um, at the website. And it's it's a, a subscription-based model um, for people that are curious about signing up. It's 25 bucks a year, and then you get access to all these models and tools that, like I said, go
0: back 30 years. So yeah, that's basically what it's all about. Yeah, and it's broken down in uh, some easily digestible graphics. So for people like myself who tend to get lost in that block of text, you, you laid it out in a nice graphic with percentages. And uh, that's what I like about that site.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, you're, you're trying to, this is very niche space, even a few years ago, but you're trying to, you know, make this something that people understand. And, you know, a lot of the time they don't need to understand all the, all the math and all the intricacies that go in it. They just need to see, you know, this number good, this number bad, you know, there's some yeah. stuff in there that if they want to get into it, they can get more into it. You know, it shows their equivalencies and how it's kind of grown each year. And a lot of people are interested in that, but sometimes, you know, people are just kind of, yeah, they just want to see like, you know, what what is my play? What does my team have in the system? Who did we just draft? Did we get somebody that has a good likelihood of being really good? Or do we get somebody that, you know, could be a dud or could be somebody that underperforms a draft spot, right? So yeah. that's that's really kind of the goal and and what I'm trying to achieve. And, and yeah, so I I
0: appreciate that. That's, that's resonating with you for sure. Oh, absolutely. Now when you're, when the draft is all said and done every year, do you go back over the information that you've been using as a data point and kind of reassess and fine tune?
1: Yeah. I mean, it it takes a couple of years because it takes so long for basically like a prospect to make it I mean, typical, you know, path is like five to six years for a forward before you can kind of be pretty certain whether they're going to make it or not or maybe they just kind of sneak in and then for a defenseman you know it's probably six to seven years and then for goalies you're probably at like eight to nine years right so it takes a while so i mean i kind of go back every couple years and i you know add a little bit more data to it and sort of tweak the model to make sure like you know those those certain groupings or those certain profiles that said hey this is this is you know a good profile for a star or, you know uh, stars tend to come from this sort of grouping or these 10 these these certain equivalencies at certain ages and i kind of go back and you know that'll tweak a little bit as you kind of look at it and go along but you know they're they're pretty consistent they basically existed i mean the the data goes back to 1990 and these patterns are have always sort of been there and you know they tweak a little bit but i mean they're pretty consistent like over the decades once you kind of error adjust everything and um, yeah. So, I mean, there'll be little changes, but so far it it doesn't change too much as you go, but
0: yeah. Well, I mean, the more data, the better. So that, that helps with future predictions. Um, now did the pandemic affect the model at all? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it affected it. I'd say the biggest
1: thing was, you know, you, you certainly get these small sample sizes, which is very atypical. You know, prior you'd get you know you want to see like basically the player playing like at least 20 games in that league you know hopefully something kind of north of 30 or 40 games that's typically what you do see unless the player got injured basically is is when you see a small sample size but what happened with covid is you had all these shutdowns and players not being able to play that there was kind of this blanket um small sample size and this this blanket you know, weirdness going on. So it did play with the model. And I'm, I'm curious to go back and look in like, you know, five years and see like what happened there. Like, is there some players that maybe snuck through that turned into stars that basically don't look like it in the model because they didn't have any data associated with them or or they performed badly in their, you know, small game sample that I was able to use. There might be some stuff that pops up like that, but kind of the the only, I guess, good thing about the pandemic is it basically happened to everybody. So, I mean, it's not just like this player over here, or this player over here. Like it's, you know, all the WHL players only got in, you know, 24 games. All the OHL guys didn't even get to play, you know? And then so, so it's all kind of, you know, spread across the entire cohort or the whole prospect pool kind of coming up. So that's one part about it that, you know, at least it's not like this this person over here and then this person over here. It's it's kind of a blanket thing. But, yeah, I'm, I'm certain that it'll... It'll have some some weird impacts when I go back and look at it in a few years, for sure.
0: Now, in looking at the uh, the, the prospects that are coming up to draft now, uh, because they miss so many games, they miss seasons, most of the people that I've been talking to have just kind of been saying, well, their progression is going to be a little bit slower, but they'll still get to where they were at. So I, I would be interested to see if that you, like you say it's four to five years for a forward maybe it takes a sixth year or mm-hmm. you know you add a year to your model maybe maybe yeah. that's what it is i'd be really interested to see that
1: yeah like I, I think that'll be the case and i i think you know not only will it take them a bit longer to get there but like you'll have you know these players that maybe would have kind of barely crossed over sort of my star threshold you know my star offensive producer threshold in a typical non-pandemic situation, maybe they would have like, they would have gotten there and they would have crossed over. But in this situation, I could see it like where they're a bit back of it, you know, like they they kind of get to where they're supposed to go, but like they never achieve that, that true star status because they're always kind of a little bit back. And, you know, the huge thing with this model is how age is so important. Like, you know, you could have a six month difference between prospects that basically look identical you know, coming up in the draft. And that's a massive difference. The guy who's born in the summer versus the one who's kind of born in like, you know, November, December of the previous year, like that can make a big impact. And the big thing with it is, um, you know, the earlier you're sort of hitting these big jumps and hitting these big equivalencies, the better. Whereas some of these players, like, you know, that that really early stage, like basically hitting a massive equivalency by age 18 or 19, like that's wiped out for them. They can't do that anymore. So they kind of have to, You know, even if they're hitting those those big jumps later on, what the research shows is they're less likely to sort of turn into those big, you know, superstars those big stars. So there might be some of that happening as well. So it will be kind of interesting for sure.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Now, you use the NHL equivalencies. How much of that? um, What kind of weight system is it using with these international tournaments?
1: So with the tournaments, I don't tend to focus on them um, because they're often really small game samples, again, which is not good for this type of stuff. And like, you know, a lot of times they play in a bunch of different tournaments. So then it's basically like a whole bunch of little small game samples balled up into one, but you basically have to split them apart. So basically what I do is, you know, most of the time the player plays in one league and you can kind of just grab that equivalency and it works great. With some of the Euro guys, what I do is because they'll jump around a bit, especially like the Russian, the Russian guys and the Swedish guys, especially. Like they'll go from like the junior league up into the major league and then the one in between, and we'll kind of go all over the place. And so, so long as they kind of play enough in each league, um, you know, call it 20 games type thing, um, I'll take basically like where they where they looked best, and I'll kind of use that universally throughout the model. So you know, if they played in the KHL, but they also played in the MHL and, you know, their KHL stats were basically non existent because they're playing, you know, two minutes a night, like you're off, but then their MHL stats are like fantastic. You know, I'll basically take, you know, he's showing better in the MHL. So I'll take that. And, you know, I use it universally throughout the model. So it's not like I'm picking and choosing it's, it's kind of like apples to apples that way. So yeah, that's what I kind of do with the leagues. And then in terms of the international play, like normally I don't really factor it in it's just kind of like a, a nice anecdotal thing like oh look at this guy destroying the, the world championships or the world juniors or that type of thing you know it tends to be a lot of time you know the good players are the ones dominating these tournaments but then sometimes you have these like strange anomalies like Slavkovsky this year you know like uh, PRV not that PRV look bad per se or Slavkovsky looks bad you know they just they don't look like certain superstars going into the draft but they have these massive tournaments that people are like oh my god like this is the next big thing but you know it's yeah it's, it's it's like weird you know 10 game samples so i i kind of you know for the model purposes i, I mostly ignore them you know they're, they're nice to look at but for factoring it into the actual model they're they're not ignore.
0: and now i'm looking at your your first round list that you have put out on twitter and for the for those who would go to your Twitter account and find your hockey prospecting 2022, 2022 NHL draft rankings, you have it listed in a color scheme, uh, mm-hmm. from blue to red. So, is that are you setting them up as their score? They're not,
1: no, they're not tiers or anything, it's basically just going like it literally goes from dark blue to red just to kind of show <laughs> like this is the top one down to the bottom one, so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's certain, there's, there's different people that, that group them and stuff. I didn't particularly with this, it's just basically just, just guiding your eyes essentially.
0: Now in looking at your list, I noticed very, very interesting um, anomalies from other people's lists. Uh, Like most you have Shane Wright at first, uh, Logan Cooley's up high, but the ones that really popped for me were Lane Hudson and you're at Slavkoski you got Lane at number eight and Slavkoski at 16 can you explain a little bit as to why you felt that Slavkoski belonged at at the midpoint
1: right and yeah just a clarification about the list like this isn't where I think players are actually going to go this is just essentially rankings from you know my my models and and factoring in kind of you know, their consensus ranking and then their age. So how much runway they have left to sort of hit those next steps after being drafted. Cause that's a big thing too, is basically where they're going next. So just wanted to throw that out there first, but yeah. So essentially, um, I mean, I can start with Slavkovsky. So obviously he's kind of consensus ranked like two or three type thing with uh, most sources. And then, so like, I'm basically like almost completely data driven with this. And when you look at Slavkowski and where he sort of stands right now as of the draft he kind of he, he doesn't have this you know star or superstar profile to him at all this can grow obviously because I mean I track him for five years so he still kind of has three more years to go basically but a lot of these guys going in the draft like they have this profile that looks like oh yeah this guy has like already a 70 80 percent chance that he's going to be a star like obviously this guy looks like a first overall talent type thing, but Slavkovsky doesn't really have that. He's, you know, he's he's not old, but he's not young either. He's kind of right in that gray area. He's born March thirtieth, so you know, there's there's some runway there, but it's not as much as like a guy born like in the summer. And he kind of has this, you know, slightly above average equivalency going into the draft. It's in the it's in the twenties um, essentially. And the other thing is that's coming from a small game sample in the junior liga league that's where he showed best right when he if you actually factor in his his liga totals so he's playing in the in the pro Liga league i think he has like 10 points in 31 games so if you translate that it translates to like an equivalency in in like the teens which is really really low for like a first rounder but for like a top five pick it's very very low so it kind of red flags me um and when you kind of go through, you know, I, I read through the scouting reports and watch video. You know, I'm not a scout myself, but I read through myself because obviously there's smart people out there that, that scout these guys and, and, and go through it. And, and you go through it and it, they don't talk about him like, oh, he just like he's about to pop and he's about to hit this like superstar level. You know, they talk about how he's really good at like dominating down low and getting back out front. And then they compare him to players, you know, like like Nishushkin or PRV. And those are really good players, like analytics, darlings, like they kind of drive the play all over the ice. But if you did like a redraft of like 2013 or 2016, like those guys would not be in the top three. Even now, like if you had hindsight going back five years and eight years, like they're not in there. So that's kind of what he looks like to me. So that's why I can't rank him that high. Cause there's just so much good, you know, high probability stuff that's above him um, that, I just can't have him in the top three or even the top 10, like right around like 15, 16, you know, the really high caliber guys are not there anymore. And that's where it's like, okay, like this guy has the tools. He's big, he's strong, you know, he can protect the puck. That's where you kind of take a swing on a guy like that. And so that's, that's basically why I have him ranked there. And then Lane Hudson. So he's, you know, a five foot eight defenseman out of the USDP program, very, very small. He's absolutely tiny. Um, but you look at what he looks like in the model and he's got this really, really high production in the USDP this year. And he also had really good production in his pre-draft year last year, which I look for too. Like that's, you know, it's a great sign if they have great production in the draft year, but if they also have kind of like 90th percentile production normalized, you know, when it's all in that same level playing field in their pre-draft year, like that's even better. And Hudson has that, and he's got this crazy production. Like he, he looks like almost like a, like in the model, he looks kind of like a Quinn Hughes light version, not quite as good, but like not that far behind him. And I know, you know, Quinn Hughes is an amazing skater, and and Lane Hudson is not quite as amazing, but yeah, I mean, he has he has the profile of a player that can do well. The big thing about him is how small he is. Like essentially. Yeah. yeah. If if he does turn into a star, like he kind of has a star profile in the model. If he does turn into the star, he'd be basically like the shortest star defenseman to like ever come out, like certainly in the last 30 or 40 years. So that's a bit of a red flag. That's a bit of a concern. But I mean, if he was like, probably three inches taller, he'd probably be a lock for top 15. If he was four inches taller, he'd probably be in the top 10. So will that size really play a factor it's tough to tell i mean he's very very small he's very slight like he's only like 150 pounds he's gonna have to put on a whole bunch of weight but he's not it's not like he's knocking on the door of making the nhl like he's at least two or three years out you know hopefully once he gets with a team they can put him with a strength coach and he can put on some pounds and that type of thing so that's that's why he's he's ranked so high it might seem absolutely nuts but he has this like really high like outlier production like he's in like the ninth percentile for his sort of equivalency as a d-man for this draft he's basically only behind nemets so yeah that's that's why i had to rank him so high
0: yeah and uh, if he was 510 versus 58 i mean how much more different could that possibly be for him i mean not really
1: yeah yeah exactly like i tweeted about this yesterday like you know, comparing him to Hughes, and you know, Hughes is one of the best, you know, offensive D men of his generation. So maybe he's not quite that, but you know, he could certainly still be a star. And yeah, Quinn Hughes is 5'10, like 180 pounds, and then Lane Hudson is 5'8 and like 150 pounds. Like these guys are small D-men. They're gonna get pushed around, they're gonna have like no physicality to their game, they're gonna have to rely on you know, moving the puck quickly and using their feet and you know using their hockey IQ to sort of create gaps and create space so that they can get it out. They're not going to be, you know, crushing guys into the boards. They're not going to be boxing you out in front of the net. That's not who they are. So five eight or five ten, like you're you're, you're short. You're a short D-man. You're gonna have to work around a different way. So yeah, that's I mean that's kind of my my thought process. You know, he he looks like a guy that could be a star. He's just really, really short.
0: So you've you've seen many, many drafts. He looks like he's going to be one of those guys that slides. How far do you think he'll slide back? Do you think he'll slide out of the first?
1: Yeah, yeah. He's that small that I think he will. I mean, you look at last year. I mean, you're you're it's weird COVID year again, but like a guy like Olin Zellweger, he slides out of the first round. He looks very similar. He's a bit taller, but I mean he's kind of that really small puck moving defenseman now. Yeah, had this amazing year and he's kind of really, you know, shot up the rankings and that type of thing, but he still slid out and they're going to look at Hudson. I mean, they're starting to draft shorter players higher. Now you're not seeing it where these obvious superstar talents like Theo Fleury and, and Marty St. Louis are dropping out of the entire draft or dropping in the sixth round. They're, they're getting drafted sometimes in the first round, you know, second, third, rather than the the back end now, but defensemen, this size they're still going to drop at this point they haven't come around too much on them yet so um you know i i think he's probably going to drop to maybe middle of the second round i was guessing somewhere around that kind of 45 50 spot you know maybe even late second third round but i mean he he has essentially first round numbers or even top 10 top 15 numbers so i'm curious where he goes for sure
0: yeah, he's he's one of those players that I've been watching in this draft class that really intrigue me. I want to see how he does against the larger opponents. I mean, he's done extremely well at the USHL level, playing against NCAA players, um, but those aren't quite professional levels. So I really want to see how he deals.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it'll be interesting. Like it, it might take some adjusting. It could be something even where. If he does make the NHL, like, it takes him a little bit to sort of get his footing and figure out, you know, what he's supposed to be doing or how he's supposed to have success um, before he really starts cooking. I mean, but you've seen some of these guys, like, Quinn Hughes came in, had immediate success. Like, even a guy like Sam Girard who came in a few years ago, you know, he had some pretty decent success out of the gates. He's another small guy. And then, you know, two or three years after that, he kind of took another bump up, and now he's really figured out how to play his game and generate offense and that type of thing. So it could be a situation like that, but I don't know. I I think, I think he'll find a way these types of players. I mean, they turn into stars three out of five, four out of five times. Like, yeah, he's really, really small. That's the big thing. But I mean, he certainly has the the very elite profile that you want to be looking for in these drafts for sure,
0: where you get that, that sneaky ad. That's definitely one of those home run swing kind of picks. Yeah. Yeah. Now back to Slavkovsky. You mentioned a couple of red flags with him. Um, do you feel like he's going to slide anywhere past the second place, uh, beyond New Jersey, or are they really going to rely on that size?
1: I don't know. I mean, if you look at New Jersey and how they've drafted recently, they tend to they tend to take like the the high offensive guys or like the guys that essentially show well in this model. Like, I don't know whether they sign up or not, but they probably have something that they're looking at. But, you know, you look at, like, Jack Hughes, obvious pick. each year. you know, pretty obvious. But then they take, like, Ty Smith, and they take um, Alexander Holtz, and then they take Luke Hughes last year. Like, they're they tending to take that that offensive one that, you know, is showing that potential already. So then to go and change that and basically take essentially – you know, a very opposite approach with taking Slavkovsky Slavkovsky at second. I don't know. I could see him maybe sliding, almost surprisingly, back to like third or fourth or something. Or maybe, you know, maybe New Jersey trades out of that pick or something because it's it's just too high to take that type of player. But it is a player that would help them. I mean, they're they're pretty small. They're they're a growing group. They're offensively talented, but they p- could probably use a couple bigger bodies that can kind of you know play the wall and get the puck for them down low and stuff so he is the type of player that could work for them but yeah like just at second I don't know it might be too rich too rich but we'll see I mean that's where he's kind of slotted right now that's sort of the consensus so maybe they just walk up there and take him so
0: it'd be why they they put their pick out dangling it for uh, a known player a known commodity yeah, yeah. so maybe they are maybe they are uh subscribers (laughs) (laughs) um oh i was going somewhere with with this sailor brain um yeah so he's i don't know i don't feel like he's the right type of uh gamble that someone that high should take like there's a there's a big debate with the Canadians, where they should take either him or Shane Wright. Whereas I've been kind of pointing towards Logan Cooley and Shane Wright. Now, how close in the model would Cooley and Wright be?
1: Yeah, so they're they're quite close, I would say. And I mean, Wright is obviously a bit funny because he's you know been talked about as his first overall pick for a while and he kind of looks apart um you know could be a 1c for you know the next 15 years type thing but he missed his entire pre-draft year because of the ohl so he's basically sitting out for 18 months but he showed early indications of sort of this like really good talent like even with his equivalency in his in his kind of d minus two year, so when he was 15 16 playing in the ohl like not many players have numbers like that like it's like a stamp coast hall austin matthews crosby mcdavid type thing like so he's showing these like really high potential numbers then and then he basically has to sit for 18 months and then it takes him a bit going so i still have him at first and he still looks really good but he looks a little bit weird because he missed his entire pre-draft year and then cooley looks really good had really good production in the usdp last year and then jumped up another level this year in the usdp and he's also quite a bit younger. He's born in May versus Shane Wright, who's kind of born in the early part of January. So that's the big difference. Is he has a bit more runway to sort of pop and hit that, that uh, you know really high level sort of growth pattern compared to Wright. But they're very very close. I mean, I could kind of do a pick 'em between the two of them. Uh, I like both a lot. They're ranked one one and three by me. So for sure.
0: Now there's a, there's one player that it wasn't just covid that in fact, uh, that uh, caused them problems it was a health issue so Miran ishenko you have him uh in the first but down towards about 25 26 where was he trending before he got ill
1: yeah so if you look at his his numbers from essentially his pre-draft year like they are quite good they look like you know, cause he's a bit of a, he's an older prospect born in February. They look like a guy, you know, if he took another jump in his draft year, they look like a guy that would kind of go in the sort of early teens, I would say maybe a bit early in that. Cause maybe that was kind of his consensus. Like there was a lot of people talking about him. So he might've been one of those guys that snuck him in the top 10, but obviously it seems like, you know, his, his health concerns there sort of impacted this season because he kind of. What happened with the numbers before, you know, the health, prognosis came down as he sort of plateaued like he was at a really good number in his pre-draft year and he was basically at the same number in his draft year which is not what you want to see you want to see them making the jump to the next sort of threshold or the next level and he sort of plateaued but now yeah you're getting this this news that he's he's got these pretty serious health concerns that maybe have um, deterred him from from hitting that next level but yeah I'd say he probably would have like I think he's probably going to fall to maybe the twenties now, but he probably would have been drafted in like the early teens, I would guess
0: prior. All right, and with the model, do you have um, do you have a way of kind of assessing the talent floor for these players, or is this just to uh, project out to see if they can be stars or just NHL players?
1: Yeah, it's it's mostly the NHL. Like, do they make? the NHL and play 200 games essentially, or do they turn into basically like a star offensive producer? So it doesn't really have the the floor and ceiling like that, like that kind of more rely on the scouting and the the draft consensus. You know, if a guy in the model kind of looks like Slavkovsky looks, you know, middling or a bit average, but everybody talks about him as like a top three pick. Well, obviously like this, this guy's enormous. He's going to make the NHL. He's going to play his 200 games. So his floor is probably, like, making the NHL for sure and being a bottom sixer that, you know, does a role, right? Whereas his ceiling could be, you know, a guy that slots onto a wing with a really good playmaker maybe and and maybe turns into a star that way. Um, So, yeah, so it's – my model is tougher to sort of look at the ceiling and floor. I mean, you can kind of see it when you're looking at players, looking at, you know, the whole kind of grouping of players that look like player X, and you say, oh, okay, like – there's 20 guys that look exactly like this over the past 30 years and you know 15 of them turned into stars and then the other ones just barely missed being a star but they all made the nhl so basically that's what you're looking at or you could be looking at a guy where it's like oh like 80 percent of these guys make the nhl but like only two out of 20 turn into stars so i mean you're probably looking at more of a role player there so
0: now I, I know it's, it's an inexact science because you're doing predictive model. And sometimes there's misses, for instance, nail Yakupov, like his numbers yeah. looked unbelievable. Yeah. So is, is there an answer into why he missed in yours or is it just one of those strange anomalies?
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think there's all sorts of stuff with Yakupov, like, you know, kind of heard that he's, he was, maybe the hockey IQ wasn't there. Like he, he wasn't, but the other thing is like, he is a Russian and like spoke barely any English. I don't think they ever really had a translator or anything for him. So like, you know, he's coming over to a new country, trying to learn this game on this team. That's not very good, but you're trying to rapidly improve. And, you know, he kind of doesn't really know what's going on. So that could be part of it. I mean, you have that sometimes with these, these, you know, these big euros, especially from Russia that look, Great in the model and then they just never pan out because there might be some language barriers and you know with some of them I mean not in Yakupov's case but some of them like maybe they stay here for a couple of years and then it's maybe like oh maybe we'll bump you down to the HL, and then it's like well no I'm just going to go back to the KHL and make 500 grand and be back in my home country right so yeah with Yakupov I don't know like I you know he's drafted first overall he has the exact profile of like a player that turns into a star and even like his first year in the NHL, I know, you know the was pretty terrible at that point. They were basically just like trying to get him going. But he had a really good like rookie year. He had a rookie year indicative of a guy who's drafted first year overall and makes the NHL right away and then becomes into a star. And then right after that, it just all fell apart. So I don't know. I don't know what happened there. But uh, yeah, he's, he's a really interesting one for sure.
0: Probably that uh, Edmonton first overall curse.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. They got too many of them. No,
0: oh, God, no kidding. <laughs> now you're you're based out of Alberta so yeah. you're going to be more of a uh, uh, an honest broker of this if you were the Canadians GM who would you want to pick for the team that they have now
1: at first overall
0: yeah I mean
1: I think I would take Shane right I mean you have you need a lot of pieces in Montreal you know it's going to be a while. You know he's being the consensus number one. You already have Suzuki, but kind of when you know when you read about um, Shane Wright, like the offense is is there and it's coming. Kind of, he looks pretty good in the model, but like he's also like they talk about how good he is defensively. Like he's not he's not cheating the game. He's not one of these guys where it's all offense. But then you're not seeing like the superstar profile in the model. Like you know he's he's highly regarded for his defensive side. So I mean even if he, his ceiling or or what he hits is kind of like a 60 point two C or a kind of a shutdown center. I mean, you have him and Suzuki. I think that would be a pretty good combo and kind of the upside with Shane, Wright, If you let him, maybe you let him go back to the OHL and, and develop a little bit more, you know, maybe you end up with that one C sort of 70 to 80 point guy. And then you kind of have a one, two between him and Suzuki. I think that would be fantastic. I mean, But like I said, like they obviously need everything. They need the elite D-man like a Nemets, you know, or a Matichuk. You know, they need the wingers, but they certainly need to start with basically the center or the D-man. So I I would go with right for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, you gotta, you gotta set up your team with the best centers you can get. I mean, I don't think, I think the St. Louis Blues were probably the, the only team I can think of that didn't win a cup or that won a cup with just uh, really good centers as opposed to elite.
1: Yeah. 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 And like when they, when they first got O'Reilly, like that was kind of like, I mean, he was really good at that point, but that was like, right. As he was really starting to pop and kind of evolve into a star, it was like basically that season. And then after that, he's just kind of taken off and now he is, you know, certainly probably one of the top five centers in the league, but yeah. Yeah. Like that's when you go back and you look at, especially the teams that make it to the finals and make it to Um, winning a Stanley cup, they always have a ton of stars, you know, four or five is kind of the average much more than most other teams. And they always have like, like a dominating, like, yeah, top five center and a really, really good D man. That's like a massive point producer and plays 25 minutes a night. Like that's kind of the anchor points that you need. And then you need to fill it in with a lot more stars. So yeah, I think they, I think they start with Shane Wright for sure.
0: Now, before I let you go, I have one very, very important question. And it's because you're in Alberta. Did the Battle of Alberta cause any problems at home?
1: <laughs> it, uh, it's probably a bit too much swearing for me, you know, for the kids going to bed and that type of thing. But I mean, my my wife is is also from essentially Calgary as well. She's from a little small farm area just outside Calgary. So thankfully we're both we're both Calgary fans and then all three kids are Calgary fans too. So there was no upheaval that way, but yeah, it was certainly a lot of disappointment on, on my side. Seeing how that
0: happened, yeah, I get up. it. I get it. I understand disappointment. Uh, my, the team I follow hasn't won anything in about 30 years. So I get yeah, it.
1: Coming up on it. Yeah. 29.
0: Yeah. I know it's uh, the last time they won was the year I joined the, the armed forces. So I'm hoping they win before I retire.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Maybe that's how we'll line up. It'll be kind of anchor points when you start and when you end. It's my fault. Yeah. <laughs> so you need to retire like right now so they can win it next year. Well, if people start sending
0: me money, I will do it. There you go. That's all you need. So Super uh, <laughs> yeah, just send me free cash, people. I'll, yeah. I'll quit. Yeah. Um, so why don't you just let my, uh, my listeners know where they can find you and how they can subscribe.
1: Yeah. So the website is hockeyprospecting.com. And like I mentioned before, it's $25 subscription per year. And then that gets you access to all the tools, you know, there's about 10 different tools in there to compare teams and prospects and goalies and all that type of stuff. And uh, it goes back all the way to 1990. So there's essentially, I think about 7,000 players in there to compare and contrast. And then, uh, yeah, my Twitter handle is Byron Invader at Byron Invader and uh, yeah, I post different stuff about the draft coming up and about different prospects. And then, you know, guys like Sapkowski and then I get into heavy debates with, with people angry with me and that type of thing. So that's where you can follow me and and ask me any questions there.
0: I got to admit, it's been very entertaining to watch these threads evolve. <laughs> it's, it's unreal. Yeah, they're getting better and better by the day. <laughs> I'm just waiting for the best chirps. I want to take some of these be- uh, some of these chirps so I can use when I go play men's league hockey. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Some good stuff in
0: there. Oh yeah. They're very creative. Um, (laughs) But I I really want to thank you for coming on this, on the episode and talking about this. Uh, It's like I said, at the start, it's a really interesting uh, approach with the analytics. And it just fascinates me to, to learn these points of view because Everyone's arguing about analytics versus eye tests, whereas I'm one of these people that believe they need to work together. And this is one of those tools that have really helped me.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm I'm a big believer in in using both. Like, um, you know, I always say, you know, people ask me, "Oh, this, can this replace scouting?" And I say, "No, it's it's complementary to scouting." Like, you know, basically, this provides you you know, a sign of, oh, go look at these 50 players because they look really good. Um, and then the scouts can come back and, you know, they say, oh, I don't like this player or this player because they have a bad attitude or bad character or whatever. And just, you know, scouting signs that they might bust. And then it helps you kind of narrow in on the player that you want. So, yeah, it's 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 a very complementary thing. Um, and I certainly believe in both the eye tests and, and the analytics as well.
0: Again, Thank you very much for coming on the show and discussing this with me. Uh, I know you're busy, so I appreciate the time you've given me. Uh, And for my listeners, thank you guys for listening. Uh, Be sure to check out Byron and check out all of his work at the website. I use it. You should too. Uh, And remember, if you're talking about it, so are we. Do you or someone you love obsess over the Habs and they aren't even a fan of the team? Is your social media filled with old jokes and pathetic attempts at trolling? Then you have HOD, Habs Obsessive Disorder. From the makers of Bergie Arms comes 3 to 1. 3 to 1 is specially formulated to cause a temporary choking sensation, which will remind you that your team hasn't won a playoff series since the invention of HD television. Side effects may include. A desire to shave your head and grow a goatee, a lack of fashion sense, an uncontrollable urge to say, but Tavares was hurt, pretending every head coach this century doesn't call your team soft, an uncontrollable urge to choke in the playoffs, and a realization that your ability to have an inferiority complex while simultaneously being obnoxious while never winning is why you're found undesirable. Ask your doctor if three to one is right for you.